today on the podcast, we try to keep things simple and end up way, way in the weeds of the 41st millennium while we talk about our three least favorite units in Warhammer 40,000. Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Dad Meta Gaming Podcast, where we talk about games for lame dads. I am Logan, and I am a lame dad. Hi, my name is John. We are two people who play a whole bunch of games. Uh, we are friends because we both play Warhammer 40,000, the most involved nerd game there is. Maybe second to Warhammer Fantasy Battles, which is uh, dead. <laughs> so now 40k wears the crown and uh we kind of wanted to record something that all gamers talk about or at least all gamers did in our local store which is um the fact that like oh what games do you play i play 40k uh oh what do you play i play eldar oh cool i play orcs and then within like five minutes people are like yeah how about this new model this is awful griping is the the single biggest common language of 40k every grand tournament i've been to every shop i've been to you instantly find people who talk about how bad the old mephiston model was. we talk about things in the game so, that we hate because it saves us from having to talk about the people that we hate just in case it's the person across from you <laughs> played a couple tournament games where you realize that the type of person you're lambasting is the guy rolling dice across from you when you're like actually i think <laughs> women, sh women shouldn't exist in the galaxy and then you're like oh shit yep. good we're here for an hour and a half together um but so you and i have pulled up a list of the our three least favorite 40k units slash models um, I know I went a little bit more aesthetically than you did, I think, because maybe for me, I like a lot of the game's aesthetic. Uh, and I would, I think it's safe to say you uh, approach some of the <laughs> stuff from more of a rules perspective because, uh, you know, there, I, I don't know what the five units that pass muster <laughs> without conversions are. So but, uh, a brief glimpse into my tortured psyche, I am... I'm an old hammer guy. I didn't play Warhammer back when it was considered old hammer, but the the lore and just the ambiance of the game that was set up in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, where the future is roamed by militarized biker gangs and cities are hundreds of levels deep and at the very deepest level, hideous atrocities play out that are essentially the logical or illogical, if you want to say, conclusion of society's worst fears from the late 80s uh, it's like an alien movie went way off the deep end and that's what i really like about 40k um and so the reason that you will hear me lambasting modern stuff is that i feel it's getting saying that it's getting too approachable is a little bit unfair just because i do want to keep the hobby fresh and and moving forward but I appreciate its roots and a lot of the new stuff I dislike because I feel like it's a departure from that, which throws me into, you know, friendly, but spirited conflict with other people sometimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I am that other person because GW releases a new model kit and I'm like, oh shit, sick. It's got eight tentacles and it's got two pistols in its arms. <laughs> are holding eight more pistols this guy's gonna be rad and then you're like i don't know i think it shouldn't have tentacles or pistols and instead i guess we agree to disagree and then i'm like well 
All right, I can't do much with that. No, but I, I get what you mean <laughs> about the. Uh, I know what you mean about the early, the earlier days versus now, because there are some things that come out, or like some audiobooks that I've tried to listen to, uh, where you know the game still tries to hew very much to like a grim, dark aesthetic. But I look at things that like were clearly kind of inspirations for it. Like I'm thinking of like. Uh, Things like Judge Dredd with like Mega City One is clearly kind of like a one of the many like Hive City influences, and you know it's run by various gangs. Uh, and like I'm, I'm tr- some of the new fiction for Warhammer 40k does make me think about like an an issue of the Judge Dredd comic where he's like, "There's crime everywhere in the city. There's no escaping it." Also, you're my best dang friend. I really like you, Jake. I think we should hang out after work because. Judge Dredd is a tonally, it's like Conan, tonally like it never leaves. Uh, 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 it's kind of grim, dark roots, right, right. you know, there might be like a goofy character, but like Judge Dredd is never goofy. Uh, but I do feel like the the more recent characterizations I've read, especially for like yeah. Space Marines, uh, they are kind of all over the place. So, um, but let's not talk about 40k novels because I've only read like four of them and i've tried to listen to like three different audio dramas and uh if you can't take space marine seriously in print boy howdy are you not going to be able to take them seriously <laughs> in audio um yep. it sounds like somebody has written like a mad tv sketch about fascism for a thousand pages uh, <laughs> But but if it were cool somehow. <laughs> but if it were also super heavy metal. Uh, which actually yeah. also, so besides the Grimdark, that kind of brings us into the models, I guess. The like One of the things that drew me to 40k over other miniature games when I was kind of picking where I would like throw the money I don't really have at little plastic toy soldiers was <laughs> like everything is like the cover of a heavy metal album. Like, nothing yeah, is man. even the, the artwork that goes on, like, an Iron Maiden, like, liner notes. It's just all album cover. Everything is turned up to 11 all the time. And um, I really like that. And I feel like a, at least a couple of the things that I'm going to pick here uh, have missed the mark. Um, but I know that one of your picks is what I think of as a very heavy metal unit. So if you want to start with uh, <laughs> The Land of Ice and Snow and talk about Space Wolves space wolves so yes i I will keep my actual pick in suspense for a minute but space wolves in my mind are terrible in many many ways (laughs) so first reason is they have too many tropes hanging on these guys they're vikings in space but and and that would be fine but they're also werewolves uh they're savage warriors who disregard the codex astartes but they're very loyal you know and i i feel like they're they're trying to push these things too much that's like because they're dogs, ha ha, they have to be very loyal. They're man's best friend. But they also don't give a shit about your codex. I wipe my ass with your codex. And again, an- another sort of weird juxtaposition, they're relatively good guys as far as Marines go. You know, they go out of their way to defend innocence sometimes. But they're fickle at the same time. Russ himself was noted many times as sort of when the mood struck him, he would offer no quarter whatsoever, and then other times he would take prisoners, and there seemed to be no rhyme or reason as to why he would do that. It's just the mood struck him, the fancy struck him. And so ultimately, I think a lot of this is you're just trying to hang too many 
conflicting concepts to add depth, but these guys just have too many of them. They're hardly alone in the 40K setting in that way in my mind, but there are so many uh, juxtaposed conflicting concepts that this guy, these guys don't have depth or drama, they just have baggage. So with that in mind, I will pick the wolfiest of wolf units. The unit that I rage at the most, Wolfen. <laughs> so in the lore, Wolfen are mutants, and said mutations make them more powerful. So my beef with that avenue is that it undercuts both biology and the wider 40k lore. So I don't want to get too much on the realism of the setting, because obviously this is a, a setting where people throw mine bullets and shoot laser beams, but... Um, in real life, mutations are almost always harmful, and I would be willing to discard that fact if 40K didn't lean into this as well. You know, how many times do you see it baked into setting where abhor the mutant because the mutant is a tool for chaos? Chaos spawn are sort of the personification of mutations not being helpful to the bearer, if you want to look at it that way. So um, real life mutations are weird, right? They go in all sorts of different directions, but Wolfen all mutate the same way. Well, why is that? The lore says that it's because of this thing called the Canis Helix, which is um, how space wolves become space marines. So Wolfen then are a manifestation of a curse lurking within all of the space wolf, the individuals in the space wolf chapter. The first victim was this guy named Wolfen, who became the eponymous person for whom the, the affliction was named. Now, he was secretly evil. Oh, yeah. Go sorry, ahead. I actually don't know that, and I did not know <laughs> because I. Uh, spoiler alert: I like Wolfen a lot. I did not know that the whole idea of Wolfen were named after a goddamn guy. Yeah, but, his uh, name was Wolfen. <laughs> oh, that is boy, that is tough. All oh, right, you're gonna love this. <laughs> Step the second. The way that space wolves imbibe the helix, which is the thing that turns them into a space marine, they drink from a thing called the Cup of Wolfen. Sure. So the first guy to drink from the Cup of Wolfen was named Wolfen. <sighs> Get that. <laughs> so, so the first guy to drink out of the cup, was the cup just called the cup before he drank out of it? Were they just like, this is our DNA cup, don't worry about what's in it? And then he drank out of it, and he was like, I love this cup. And they were like, honestly, you drank out of it so well, we're going to name it after you. Now it's now it's your cup. You know what? Just to, to be magnanimous, I will allow that inspiration to slide. But spoiler alert, uh, he did not, in fact, shake hands with people after drinking from the cup. It caused a terrible transformation, and he was the first one to fall to the curse of the Wolfen. He then attacked Lehman Russ, who backhanded him to death. Oh, so he's a short-lived space wolf martyr. Yeah, sort of. Well, it turns out that he was secretly evil, and so imbibing the Canis Helix brought... Uh, it, it made him on the outside as corrupt as he was on the inside, which caused him to lash out at his superior. This is the plot of the movie Doom. <laughs> yeah, the movie, not the game, right? I don't know if the game has a plot beyond our Marine in Hell, but definitely the movie, uh, a movie because of the girl I was dating at the time, I saw it twice no, in theater. Nice. She liked That's Carl Urban, speaking yeah, of dread. Yeah, yeah, I gave them, I don't know what it was, I'm like, oh, five or whenever it came out, like, I, but I gave them, like, a solid 22 bucks or something, my box office nice. dollars. 
but yeah, they uh, if you were a bad guy, the hell zombie bite or whatever it was made you a uh, worse guy. And if you were like a really, really good guy, uh, it made you into a first-person shooter sequence at the end of the movie. You know, I do remember that now that you're... Because the sequence was the only reason that I wanted to watch the movie, and it was 30 seconds, and then I I wasted $11 of mine, I guess, in box office books, and more importantly, (laughs) almost two hours of my time. Well, and it was also, though, it was a treat. I think it was the last movie to try to convince everybody that The Rock had hair. (laughs) So in that way, pretty good special effects. Okay, so the Wolfen got infected with the Doom virus. Yeah. Murdered by his primary. And so that's sort of uh, my roundup on the lore part of Wolfen and why I hate them is because being Wolfen is bad, right? So the first guy named Wolfen drank from the, the cup of Wolfen and it turned him into this monster. And the only use for him in, in the eyes of his primogenitor um, Lehman Russ is death. So Wolfen turns into a monster. He attacks his Primarch, and the Primarch kills him. Okay, so that sort of sets the stage for these guys are berserker warriors who abandon all all loyalty, all restraint, and they turn into unstoppable killing machines. Well, that sounds like a liability on the battlefield, right? Well, the rules say otherwise. <laughs> Between between drinking from the cup and becoming unstoppable, unreliable berserk killing machines, it ritualistically sounds pretty close to another Space Marine close combat Doesn't chapter. Doesn't it though? Doesn't it though? <laughs> I'm just saying. I feel like they already have to work so hard to differentiate what they're. See, good maybe at. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I like Blood Angels and I don't like Space Wolves, so. Well, I think uh, with, like, heavy metal, violent war concepts, I do think, like, exactly the degree of a pinch of seasoning that goes in is really important to whether or not you like them. So, rules-wise, amazing, right? (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing, is that there's a disconnect between the lore and the rules. So, the the lore says that these are uncontrollable berserk warriors as dangerous to allies as their enemies, so the rules don't really bear that up, right? I mean, this is a usable unit in the game. So they run faster than normal Marines, and they hit like trucks in melee. Okay, so far, that checks out with the lore. But if you look at it, their leadership is almost as good as a normal Space Marine, and they always operate at peak effectiveness. In fact, their nearby allies can get buffs from them to seeing how how ripped and amazing they are. Like, oh, those guys have become more like the wolf. We can totally do that, especially young Space Wolves get buffs from being around these out-of-control psychopaths. And then you look at it even more. It's like their weapons... (laughs) are not damaged or improvised, but they're rather rare, valuable, or unique designs. I mean, you can put, you can put natural weapons on these guys, but nobody does that because they're weak enough that nobody wants to use them. Instead, these guys are toting around, you know, thunder hammers. Lighter armor. Okay, well, so they have a four-up armor save instead of the normal space wolf three-up armor save. That's fine. It makes sense that some of your armor would be discarded or damaged when your anatomy changes. If you turn into a werewolf, yeah, your suit of power armor is probably not going to fit normally. But then you turn around, and rules-wise, you let these guys take storm shields. I mean, so much for losing self-control in a murderously aggressive rampage. I'm going to stab you really hard, drink your blood, Although it is, bite to you be fair, stuff from behind this really big power shield. <laughs> Canonically, the only weapon a wolfen is ever armed with. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's fair, I guess. <laughs> so anyway, the their rules are not bad. I mean, they're obviously a a potentially competitive unit. They just don't match the lore. So that's the first. No, they do seem to be the best. Twice. You'd want them on your side. You wouldn't shun or cull them because they can't be controlled. Um. Right. So they hit like trucks. They can have great defense. They have one job. So great. These these have all the markings of a competitive unit. They're expensive, right? Well, yes, of course. They cost like Terminators, and that makes them a high-risk, high-reward unit. So these guys are faster than normal Space Wolves, but that's not saying a whole lot. I mean, they move one inch more, and they can advance and charge. They don't have any kind of deep strike ability, and their transport is very limited because they're, I mean, big and smelly, I guess, and so we can't take them in a rhino. Um, and they're soft defensively by default. So how do you cost a unit effectively? Logan will know that this is something I harp on a lot. When it either has a huge effect or practically none at all. So these high-risk, high-reward units. Wolfen fall into that bucket. Anyone who played early 8th edition, Games Workshop had a big problem costing early 8th edition gene stealers for exactly this reason. is because when you shave two points off of something that was seemed a little bit overpriced, and then if it ever made it into a situation where it can do its job, those two points apparently make a big difference because the, those gene stealers flopped from being like pro every competitive Tyranid or gene stealer cult unit had some pure strain gene stealers in it to now you, you never see them at all, right? And so I think Wolfen have that problem where how do you cost something effectively? And really, because they're soft and they hit like trucks and they're expensive, they only work when you give them Thunder Hammer and Storm Shields, basically the only kind of build you see them on the tabletop, because they need good defense to get them to do their job. And if the unit's expensive, it's easier to justify spending or even overspending on the like, two like transport options they have, which is an expensive plane or an expensive plane. <laughs> I mean, listen, I don't so know what I would it call it. a mono-build unit. But those... Po- those... Well, okay. <laughs> this... <laughs> I don't I just, hate I the find storm it, wolf uh, like I hate uh, the wolf. Strange I that they bother to give less. it the tiny little wings <laughs> at the back at all. Like just give it a gravity engine on the bottom. Oh, sure, yeah. Well, apparently the wings have the gravity engine in it, right? I mean, that's that's just it's a small. This could all be true or tank. made up. We this use is antimatter, don't with, you like, know? So uh, our fuel tanks uh, don't Imperium have Imperium space big. marine lore. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. And so we'll round out by going to the models. Uh, aesthetically, I think the concept of Wolfen can work. I, I dredged up some old artwork of the cursed members of the 13th Company, which is what right. the Wolfen were before they were the unit Wolfen before the kit got released. They show berserk warriors with canid mutations, legitimately scary, like not full-on Wolfman, where you can you can definitely go, you know, American Werewolf in Paris, where this is just cartoony. But these guys have just enough cane mutation to make them sort of uncanny valley. And you're like, that's, but, but again, not full on Wolfman. So you would not want to meet this guy on a dark night. Uh, the, what we got in plastic are not that. They are, in fact, the American werewolf in Paris version where the, it's a cartoon werewolf. But these guys in particular, <laughs> if werewolves lived at the gym and called each other bro, you would get the Wolfen kit. Um, their armor... Uh, appears lighter but it's not haphazard it looks like it's been made to fit them and i question by whom 
apparently uh, their weapons are also in great repair. So apparently going berserk with bloodlust doesn't exclude regular armor and weapon maintenance. And what I I think Logan, that it you know more is about yeah I think that I is their is the Stormfrag um, launcher unique to Wolfen. So my follow up question is: Did some berserk Wolfen inventor make the Stormfrag launcher in between? So here's the part where I say I, I don't, don't like that many iron with his bros. armies, but I do like my uh terrible lon cheney jr wolfman models i do like the wolfen they're my favorite thing about space wolves um next to the actual wolf models because i don't i can't get excited for the <laughs> actually that's not true you know what i do like Wolfguard terminators it's just that now they are uh i don't know four feet tall compared to the other marines that hit the table like, Terminators got weirder looking rather than cooler looking through no fault of their that's, own. That's it's all in relation to being, like, a head and some shoulder pad shorter than an intercessor. So I'm like, I don't know if you're doing the same thing, RJ. <laughs> and I know that someone is going to tell me that you can put them on cork and it will make them taller. But, like, Tom Cruise <laughs> has been wearing lifts for for 30 years and nobody's like, what did he do before he had? He was in the NBA? It's like a power forward? What did he, he dunked? Uh, but I do, I do, I like the Wolfen. I think, um, first of all, they, uh, they're Primaris-sized before there were Primaris. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is probably <laughs> intentional on Games Workshop's part, because they were released fairly close in terms of how long it takes, you know, a model to go from design to being released. I think them and Intercessors, or, you know, your basic Primaris were probably in the pipe at a similar time. Yeah. Uh, well, the wolf and do everything as bros. Listen, I'm not going to dispute that. Yeah, they they are like, but, but let me say this, sure. like most space Marine things, they are extremely goddamn bro. <laughs> but all, all Marines are bros. I've never seen a Marine model where I'm just like, oh, this is, what does this introspective guy think about? Do you think this guy has read a lot of, uh, like a, a room of one's own by Virginia Wolf? He's done a lot of like, uh, early 20th century thinking about feminism. Like, I don't think so. I'm with you on the rules. I do hate <laughs> that they are essentially motto, mono loadout. Because you know that my thing is, you know, I, I don't uh, tend to go for like the most competitive tournament build. Like I've kind of lived in that world for a minute and like I did okay, but like it's one of the more boring ways to build an army eventually to me. And the, the wolf and fall down all over that because the Thunderhammer Storm Shield is obviously the best thing. But with any unit, I like to look at like, okay, well, like, what's the sure. second best thing and the third best thing? And like, what are the situations where these are viable? But with their armor save, and they're not some incredible toughness or anything, I don't think they should be. But if you're toughness four, uh, you have a four up armor save, which is, I think, what they come with, right? Uh, you're going to die to last guns for sure. Like a, a three up save to a four up save is just too good to not take the storm shield right there. They do still die to rate of fire. Correct. Yeah. Accurate. Well, and especially with the change, yeah, especially with the change to cover. Oh, for sure. A three up guy can hop in a ruin and get a two up. Uh, yeah. Four up well, because also uh, some units, up. like uh, at least early on, you know, you were talking about the early days of eights when they were first costing things for this new save system. Or new at the time, I guess. And uh, Terminators, boy, were they costing two plus armor. 
in just uh, an outlandish way when, uh, you know, two pl- minus two and minus three guns were all yeah. over the place to bring you to your invuln save immediately. But but that's the thing. They also have an invul save, don't you know? And so something that's T4 with two wounds and a five-up invul, I, I found a few things. Like, I actually felt that Sanguinary Guard, for example, who have a two-up armor and no invul, were costed okay, aside from their ridiculous Angelus bolt gun <laughs> at that point. But, so if you took the bolt gun off, which cost 11 points when the, co- the index dropped, um, and you compare a Sanguinary Guard to a Terminator, it really did seem like the Sanguinary Guard got a lot for losing the five up invul. So I don't know what exactly. Well, and it's the same thing with bikes where they were like, you know, this this orc bikes can move uh, 14 inches. And uh, I forget what exactly nine knob bikers clocked in at in the days of the index before the first chapter approved, but I'm pretty sure I was over the 450 mark for nine guys with a four up save. They were three wounds or they are three wounds. But yeah, um, but yeah, I mean that's a whole other discussion of how how GW I think thought this edition was going to play out based on how they costed things to begin with. <laughs> but yeah, so I I like I like Wolfen aesthetically. I I think it goes to the heavy metal side of things. Like I think they look very cool, but I also love like old kind of practical effects monster movies, which they do evoke. I agree with that. Um, do they have a place like in a power armored chapter of space Marines and like, do they fit it? I don't know. But like, I don't, I think I maybe like Wolfen because I don't like the look of power armor that much. I, I can see that. Uh, whether they belong, I think will be very interesting by the topic next under discussion, your first hate pick. Because so that, I, that's a unit I, that's like very I said similar at the beginning of this, I chose off of a unit that I like a lot better than I think. Um, although I will say I have residual rules hate for these guys from seventh edition, where if you were trying to play like a medium, you know, like comp- like a sorry uh, casual yeah, with that. teeth, and somebody showed up with these guys to the wrong list, like your game was just over. There was nothing you were doing against these guys. Uh, and of course, if you played seventh and we're talking about space wolves, you'll know that that can only be Thunderwolf cavalry. My first thought about these guys is, God damn it, they don't make any sense. Uh, you know, I'm I'm here for a lot of the stuff that's a little bit wackier in uh, 40k aesthetics. But I, because people like to talk about the rule of cool, right? And I, for, so like, for instance, for me, Wolfen live up to the rule of cool. You're like, people are like, oh, you know, they're fucking werewolves in space. I don't like that. They're just space, uh, you know, wolfmen. I don't know. I like if I bet Iron Maiden would write a song about Wolfen, about these cursed <laughs> soldiers, blah, 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 mutations. Um, I'm trying to pull up a picture of Thunderwolf Cavalry so I can make sure I'm uh, destroying them in the right yeah. way because just uh, they are bar none. And I include every hideous old resin aspect warrior with a weird bug helmet, my least favorite model in 40k. Um, I'm immediately going to contradict myself with my next pick, but 
Here's the first thing I want to talk about <laughs> with, with Thunderwolf Cavalry. And if you're listening to this and you don't have a picture of them up, please do yourself the service <laughs> of getting a picture of them. Space Marine proportions are what we call in the modeling hobby community heroic, right? They've got their big flared bootcut jean power armor. Their shoulder pads make no goddamn sense. Um, they've got their uh, armored Jansport backpacks that don't seem to hook up to anything else. I'm sure there's a lore reason, but I'm just saying they don't make like logical sense, but you're like, I don't know. I think their chunky boot cut aesthetic <laughs> looks pretty cool if I like Space Marine, so it's fine. Look, look at a picture of a Space Wolf, a Thunderwolf Cavalry on a, a you know, a, a Cavalryman on the Wolf. Why are their legs so spread? Why are the wolves so wide? And I can actually see, looking at the picture, that they really cinch these wolves in at the waist. But it's like <laughs> if you made a horse the size of a short school bus, and then we're like, Logan, get a saddle, mount it. You gotta spread your legs as wide as you are. Look at what... Ex I guarantee you that somewhere in the Space Wolf book, it talks about <laughs> Thunderwolf Cavalry being a mark of honor, or only the bravest can tame these savage beasts, which I will also get to in a second. But this has to just be the, the guys in the chapter with the most expressive hips. Like, these are the guys who skipped, like, chainsword practice to go and do, like, <laughs> yoga and Pilates and just get those hip flexors working. Yep. Well, let me tell you, I am thrilled that you noted this because I somehow this slipped past my radar <laughs> when the first twenty times I saw Thunderwolf Cav, I was. I mean, they they are doing. Uh, if if they got the onto a fat Thunderwolf, if he was reaction. a little bit wider, it would be like full like Jean Claude Van Damme doing the split between two trucks. Um, let me also say that, uh, although we can all paint our models however we want and, yep, 100%. Um, you know, it's a, the cool thing about the hobby is, you know, I don't know, build your own breakfast or whatever. All of the guys on the GW site. So the official recommended paint scheme for space wolves, there's a lot of different ways that they paint hair colors and things across the space wolf line. And you got a lot of guys with black hair, your Ragnar black mates, you got a lot of red hot redheads. Uh, to, I guess, evoke, you know, the, the Viking aesthetic. Every one of the guys riding Space Wolves on their site is at best salt and pepper. They look, I guess here's a guy with like some gray going into brown, but they look like a group of wolf riding space uncles. Like these look like the guys that are smoking cigars and still bragging about how many beers they can drink at like your girlfriend's family picnic. They're all in their 50s <laughs> and you're like, oh, I don't know. Two of those guys got out of jail recently, probably. And not for something like cool or hard, just like a DUI. We're all worried about you, Uncle Greg. That's the aesthetic of every one of these heads with like a salt and pepper hairdo and like a screaming mouth. Um, I don't know. I, I don't like anything about the way that they're modeled i will say i can't say that much about how they play in eighth edition because i think i've seen them one time on the table i think at one of the the earliest little local events yeah 
Yep, uh, probably same same for me, same guy even because he had uh, he had like a dreadnought conga line and some Thunderwolf Cav, and I I was having seen their performance in seventh. I mean, I sort of girded myself for what I thought. Yeah, was I want to make fight. fun of that and guy more, but I'm the idiot who my first eighth edition event brought knob bikers, being like, "Oh, don't worry about this. We've got three. Oh, and they are dead from two hellhounds. Okay, all right, noted, noted. Eighth edition. There is no jink. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> but um, I just the final my final thing about noted. Thunderwolf Cavalry. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't think either of us are like, um, how fast actually would the battle cruiser fly? I don't care if things are real because it is werewolves with thunder hammers fighting, you know, space terminators <laughs> with Gauss weaponry and, you know, and fucking Starcraft aliens are in here coming for us all. So it's fine. Um, but let me, let, let's do an Earth. Uh, uh, animals that we ride <laughs> quiz. Which one of these is not an animal that have ever been ridden into battle or for manual labor of any kind? A horse, a camel, an ox, a pony, a donkey, a mule, an elephant, or a Bengal tiger? Now, now we're all familiar with like the trope of like a cowboy breaking a Mustang. Do you know what I mean? Like it bucks and it like maybe he even cracks a rib trying to stay on this crazy Bronco. <laughs> um, if a tiger buck bucks you off, it's gonna eat you, like a hundred percent. Yeah. So I just if I will ever read a book about space wolves, if I'll ever read one of the thousand novels that Games Workshop publishes a year. Um, about space marines uh boy would i just love maybe a short story included in an omnibus about how somebody breaks a fenrisian wolf bit by bit to domesticate it uh and also i feel like they really missed out on an opportunity for everyone <laughs> writing these things to have like one robotic arm and like a gleaming metallic eye maybe one guy just has no jawbone uh, because it seems to me that if you're spending that much time getting these wolves to be at all domesticated enough to ride, even a superhuman is not going to come out of this. Uh, I don't know, not having to be surgically grafted to the wolf? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's the it's the bootcut power armor. You just wedge that big weave they... there in between the jaws and yeah, he's got nowhere to go. You, but it's it's interesting that you mention all of those animals because I actually feel like, and you mentioned conversions as well, I had an idea to have like a very small detachment of space wolves, but instead of, and this was in 7th edition when Thundercat were hot shit, but uh, it was not going to be guys riding wolves. It was going to be heavy metal Vikings riding heavy metal horses in space. And I think that could be an aesthetic that really went somewhere. If yeah, it is. I mean, it, that that is the problem, right? With some of literally the, uh, everything shaped like it that. would be like. I feel like if now uh, they designed Blood Angels specialty combat unit, they would for sure be called like I don't know Vampire Company, 
or Fang Company or something. They'd be like, they're the most fierce. They got uh, fangs. And uh, what's another thing we all know about, uh, <laughs> you know, vampire? I, we can't call them Blood Company. It's already the Blood Angels. They're all blood. Yeah, we'll call them Fang Company. It's, it'll be fine. Oh, Fang sounds like a wolf. Let's just call them Vampire Company. Uh, <laughs> but they, they, part of my problem with the Space Wolves, although I do like them a lot more than I like a lot of other uh, uh, marine chapters, which I know I've just shit on them for like 20 minutes, so it tells you how much I like Space Marines. Um, I do wish it wasn't everything was a wolf thing. And also finding out finding out that the first Wolfen was a guy named Wolfen. And it's not even that they've named all of the monsters after the guy. It's that his name was so close <laughs> to just being Wolf. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the stuff so like cool. Ragnar Blackmane I'll allow. That's the, cool. The codex is full of them. <laughs> um, he got a cool new model that looks dynamic um, and not yeah, hernia. Yeah, I'm not here to talk him. about the new Gaskell. Uh, what I am here to talk about, which I'm going to roll right into and uh, to take the second spot first, is uh, <laughs> another unit that should be cavalry, but is not. Which is... Uh, Necron Destroyers. Um, it's a long list of what I don't like about them because the answer is everything. Uh, but I'll, I'll start with aesthetics because it is kind of my overriding reason that I ever <laughs> got into this hobby. Uh, they look like a toy bash at best. Like it looks like someone snipped a Necron Warrior in at the waist. And then was like, I need something to glue this to. And then they either went into a toy box with like some real 99 cent pieces of like a G.I. Joe knockoff. Or they could be like an office supply. Like they went into their dad's briefcase and was like, what's this weird thing? And, you know, then their dad was like, no, Timothy, those hold all my ties together. I don't know what you put in a briefcase. But it does look like a toy bash to me. It's like this very smooth... (laughs) No real definition or anything going on. You know, you have the little square exhaust ports. But again, that could be like the caps to some super glue in terms of like definition. Do you know what I mean? Those could be anything with like a blank open space in it to indicate like an exhaust port. There's just zero design about the... I It, it literally, by the way, took me until yep. yesterday when I was jotting down some notes about what I don't like about these guys to realize... Oh, it's supposed to be, this is supposed to be a fucking scarab. That's why it's shaped like that. Oh, it's a scarab. Because it just looks like nothing. It kind of looks like the back of a wireless mouse. <laughs> yep. Like, if you blew up the scarab portion of a Necron Destroyer, you could click on that bad boy and, and do some uh, do some Microsoft Excel work. It's interesting that you say that because... The ports on the Necron flyers are almost 100% either the port for a telephone cable or for a Cat5 Ethernet cable. And I wonder if it was a deliberate design choice for the team who was designing I would love to, make to them meet to like be in that meeting in the Games Workshop ports. Design Studio where somebody was like, Is there, I mean, there technology, right? It's like Skynet. That's why we made them look like a bunch of TA hundreds. That's a good choice. That's a good. That's a popular movie. 
Do you guys know what the scariest part of technology is? Easy point and click interface. That's right, <laughs> gentlemen. I'm talking about a simple Microsoft computer mouse. <laughs> this is a slam dunk. We've got to run with this. You monster. I'm trying to pull up. Oh, I've accidentally clicked on orcs. Oh, GW website. <laughs> you know what I like. Um, there's probably a whole episode in there if we just want to agree about what aesthetics are cool. <laughs> uh, or disagree, rather, about what aesthetics are cool. Um, <laughs> Freudian slip. I'll, I'll see what the GDEV page <laughs> randomly takes me to. Dark Eldar, uh, one of the coolest game. looking armies I can't play too fiddly. I'm trying to look. Oh, here we go. Here are the destroyers. Oh, you young gentlemen. Yeah, so I pulled them up to make sure I'm not being unfair in any way. And uh, my good goddammit, they look awful. I will talk about their rules in 8th edition because I have played against them two times. And I have seen them on a lot of battle reports because they are like one of the... I would say the Destroyers are, right now, what Wraiths were to 7th edition for Necrons. Which is to say, they might not be, like, gutting it out in a lot of, like, you know, you're not seeing them in, like, top ITC breakdowns of majors or whatever. But if you're watching them in, like, a casual game with teeth, which is kind of where I like to live for 40k, uh, they're everywhere. They're in almost every list, unless someone is intentionally trying not to bring Destroyers. Um, and I actually, I think that their rules in like the macro sense of the game right. are probably fine because the rules for Necrons are not very good in the macro sense of the game. So to give them one incredibly devastating unit, I think is okay. But I have the same problem with them that I had with Wraiths back in seventh edition, which is you can't give a codex like one killer unit um, because even if we're talking like realistically competitively, like the, the ITC lists and blah, 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 that have been doing well for Necrons, I mean, it's one stratagem from a, you know, a triple flyer combined with like the weight of mortal wounds and Tesla from being Sautech with a spe another specific stratagem. Like that's not a well-designed codex. That's just exploiting two different stratagems and then maximizing your list around it, which again, I do realize is fine and is what competitive is about. But like, for instance, a Doom Scythe is not blowing the doors sure. off as a unit by itself. And Tesla Immortals are, I think, a quite good infantry choice, but again, by Correct. themselves, they're not really blowing the doors off. Nobody's like, well, I don't know how I'm going to take this army up against Tesla Immortals, unless you're me and you want to run 240 Poxwalkers, because I'll get rid of that army <laughs> in a hurry. Um, but yeah, I think they are, I think they are uh, uh, again, fine for the game as a whole, <laughs> but I think they're a negative for the Necron Codex. In that they are so, so superior to pretty much every other unit there, barring stratagems and like a very specific monolist build around Doomsize and Sautech Tesla. Sure, and it opens up the possibility when you have one great choice like that for uh, Codex designers to put a Necron revision on the shelf, right? Because like, well, they're, they're actually performing well enough provided that the person take destroyers and because destroyers are available, we can prioritize fixing something else first, right? Whereas if destroyers didn't do anything, were say 10% less efficient, the whole codex would 
would have a big red flag waving, waving over its head that says, you need to fix this so that we're not just, you know, a doom scythe seizing stratagem. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, uh, I got to be on the receiving end of that. So I understand where that is frustrating for Necron players because orcs were in the index for so, so long. And I love to play orcs and I don't like to play horde orcs. <laughs> and so every time I was like, God, the orc book is bad, you guys. The index is just really god awful. You can't do anything with it. Um, people were like, well, you know, you could be like 180 boys on the table, 190 boys, and uh, some <laughs> custom force fields. You do some the jumps, you do some war paths, bing, bang, boom. Uh, you put a boss on a war bike, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to play that one specific build. And people were like, well, I don't know why you don't like to win. It's a pretty good codex or it's pretty good index. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of your auto choice for uh, what Games Workshop would take you to, I was actually very surprised when, before we sat down to record, you told me that something from the Dark Eldar made your list of most hated units. Yeah, so I actually had to sit down and think about everything except this choice. What is it, you ask, John? Well, dear listener, it is the Court of the Archon. So in the lore, the Court of the Archon is an Archon who is the leader of the Dark... The leader of a Dark Eldar raiding party is called an Archon. And so his court will... Con, or her court will consist of his or her most read-only trusted confidants and bodyguards. Uh, which is pretty telling considering how paranoid, ruthless, and generally Machiavellian Dark Eldar society is portrayed to be in the lore. We know other Eldar can't be trusted, so it sort of fits that most of the options in the Court of the Archon are aliens. The one exception, Lamians, are explained to be so valuable that it's worth the risk to keep them around. They're master poison crafters, and given the importance of poison in Comorite society, sort of checks out that she would make the cut. Um... Another example is that um, Meduse, which is an alien realm, an, an alien being from the space between reality and unreality, uh, they harvest emotion for later vicarious enjoyment, which is something that Dark Eldar makes a lot of sense for Dark Eldar. So they can um, they they wither away and die if they don't partake of the suffering of others. And so a, a being that serves as sort of a biological recording device that would allow that suffering to be enjoyed later, like a fine wine. Checks out. I have a few quibbles with the, the lore of the Court of the Archon, but in generally, these are pretty small issues. So, for example, Slith, which are lizard people, are described as falling into degenerate excess eons ago, like the Eldar, but they're now loyal and obedient almost to a fault, and in, in fact are not dangerous conduits for the power of Slanesh, which is something that, you know, normal Dark Eldar would want to shy away from. So I think this is another case like the Wolfen of you're just hanging too many details on something. And when you, when you start piling things up, eventually you're going to tack on something that is just bound to create a paradox. So the layering of detail can occasionally cause me to call, throw out a quibble. But in general, I like the, the lore behind the Court of the Archon. But the rules in 8th edition, oh boy, the rules. <laughs> So I, so I going into this, I'm going to say, I don't know anything about the rules other than uh, I, they don't take up a force organization slot. Oh, so, right? so that's interesting, if, right? Because if you have an Archon? Uh, correct. So this is the sort of paradox that Games Workshop has set up. If you're playing a matched play game, you cannot take 
Court of the Archon models in a detachment that does not include an Archon. If you, in any kind of play setting, if your detachment has an Archon, the Court models do not take up a Force Org slot. And I think they did this to prevent sort of gamesmanship by just loading up a very cheap detachment because they're normally elite slots, so you could take some other kind of HQ and three-court of the Archon models and get yourself a CP. But I think in, in the realm where we have grown as 8th edition, you're typically operating on a three-detachment limit, and so throwing one of them away, just buying very cheap court of the Archon models to get one CP... I mean, that's nowhere near as efficient as something like the Loyal 32, which we've decided is still a thing that we can keep around. And so it's really a puzzling. And by the way, that was a choice that was made in the codex. It was a totally different setup in the index. And so Dark Eldar were not the first codex to come out. And I believe they were somewhere around the time the Guard Codex came out. And so to me, it's particularly head-scratching that you can allow something through as like Loyal 32, which gives you five command points for a very small uh, investment and still think that Court of the Archon is going to break the lid off of the game because I really don't know any other way that you would structure it just that punishingly. Yeah, I'm, I've been very confused by everything that does not take up a force organization slot. <laughs> um, because, like, so you said it came out around the t- same time as Guard, Command squads are an elite choice, no matter whether you have, say, a company commander, a platoon commander in that uh, battalion, or, I mean, guard, don't take anything else. Whether you have a company commander, a platoon commander (laughs) in that battalion or not, command squads stay an elite choice, for instance, to kind of do a one-to-one comparison, the retinue of the Lord, right? Mm. Um, You know, you and I were talking completely unrelated the other day about Arcoflagellants, because uh, they are made for the Inquisition or the uh, Ecclesiarchy, as far as I can tell, by the Adeptus Mechanicus. And so looking Check at starting that. an Admech army, I was like, oh boy, these models are good. I would really like to put some of these guys in. How could I do a quick allied vanguard detachment with the priest? Well, it turns out that if you take the HQ that works best with Arcoflagellants, they are not an elite <laughs> choice. And so it's like some like, bad fourth dimensional chest to work them into your admech army <laughs> if you don't want any sisters of battle units and you just want ecclesiarchy units so let me ask you what do you think of the models themselves like what do you think aesthetically about the things that make up the court of the archon so there are some interesting design elements but ultimately they have posing issues that really throw off the whole sort of eye appeal of these units the Medisei and the Urgul model are hunched over in what only a feckless teenager can consider to be an action pose, while the Slith and the Lamian are totally at the other end of the spectrum. They're locked in this sort of basic A pose, like someone designed the model in software and then forgot to actually give it a pose before going to production. <laughs> I am looking at the Slith right now, and he is doing the uh, classic default orc boy thing of showing me each one of his weapons very proudly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, over here is my sword that I'm holding up. Down here is my gun. Uh, <laughs> I will say I'm kind of on board with uh, the Urgul, but I do see, I do see what you mean about the uh, the very simple posing. Um, maybe I just like that he looks like the monstrous version of the uh, Six Flags old man. <laughs> <laughs> well, so ultimately the models get about a C from me. They don't really have any wow factor. 
They evoke little strong emotion, and they have all the hallmarks of corner cutting endemic of the fine cast era. And mm. I wish I could say that the outlook were better, but Urgul's just got a recent release in Blackstone Fortress. And these guys suggest that Games Workshop just doesn't know what to do with one-off alien races. If you haven't seen these guys, you, you should go check them out. Their definition of model-to-model variation seems to be whether one palm is flipped forward or backwards in their pose. It's like they're all nursing home patients trying to do the electric slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, psychically linked. <laughs> yeah, like the Six Flags guy. We're on the same page. They look great. Uh, no, I'm trying to I'm trying You're... to bring them up for Blackstone Fortress. Were they in the core game? Unfortunately, asking the wrong person. <laughs> Let's find out. Oh boy, GW does not want to load fast for me. Um, but uh, no, I do see what you mean because I'm also on the page with the Dark Eldar, the Court of the Archon models. Uh, and I think they fail a pretty basic test for me of like if something is a good character model. Which is, does it look cooler than the troops' choices of an army? Do you know what I'm saying? Because, like, a character should be something special, or even, right. like, a uh, you know, a sergeant should stand out. Right. Oh, I found the Urgul. Oh, the coloring is a lot worse, too. <laughs> for Blackstone Fortress. Yeah. Like an electric blue. The ones I saw were gray. But I don't know if those were the official Games Workshop. I just did a Google search for because I had forgotten actually that Urgles were even in Blackstone Fortress until I was preparing for this particular show, and and so I looked them up, and in the process of finding the basic Urgle, I said, "Oh yeah, they they did make a plastic one. Let's see if it's any better, so that maybe maybe I can give Games Workshop some credit uh, for revising the design in a positive way." But unfortunately, no. And it, it's also funny that you say a character should stand out better than the basic troops. But you know what? In the index, these guys were all characters, but now in the codex, they're not. And so what you do is you you have to buy them in single model units. None of them are characters. And so your opponent can <laughs> pick them off individually with sniper-like precision, even though they are the basic shape and size of the Archon that they're supposed to be standing in front of. And so you're going to run into a situation where if you're like playing Maelstrom missions, and you get a card that says uh, destroy a mod or a unit in the shooting phase, and you get more points if you destroy more units in the shooting phase. Well, if you polish off three Court of the Archon models, then you've polished off three mm -hmm. units, and they can't hide behind anything. So they're all just begging to give away points and you know, victory points or first blood or maelstrom cards. And so ultimately, I would love to have really characterful court of the archon models because i'm an inveterate dark eldar player but i gotta give these guys a failing grade yeah it is uh it is a shame because that is one of the more unique things in their book i think yeah yeah kind of the idea of like this retinue it almost feels like very sword and sorcery do you know what i mean like this like the this this kind of uh, uh terrible slaver and plotter and schemer and like these like inveterate hardened foreign mercenaries that make up his bodyguard like it feels like each one of them should be like its own characterful battle to try to get to the archon yeah it would be it would be great and so i th i think there is a lot of design canvas that is opened up by that concept and so it makes it even more frustrating when this is a missed opportunity 
You know, it's also a shame, because uh, I agree, the models in Blackstone, I finally got them to load, don't look that much cooler than the one that is Finecast that is available standalone. Right. Which is really strange for Blackstone Fortress, which I feel like did a really standout job with most of its individual models. Yeah, I mean, the Trader Guardsmen are in Blackstone Fortress too, right? Yeah, the Trader Guardsmen and uh, the, what are they called? The Psychers that they got. The Chaos Psychers with like the bulging, kind of old, like 60s comic book. Uh, they look like, a, what is the Hulk villain? Mastermind, maybe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Uh, the name slips my mind. The guy with the really tall head. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, I don't know, that's a cool, classic kind of throwback way to go with, like, an evil psychic sorcerer. Um, so I think Blackstone Fortress really killed it on most of their models. I think the Chaos Space Marines were just kind of a preview of getting slightly Primaricized Chaos Space Marines. Yeah, but overall, I mean, I think those models are even great. Oh, I love the new Chaos Space Marines. I want to throw some in with a couple little, uh, conversions to my Death Guard army. Um... And nothing from Death Guard, <laughs> although I was tempted to put the Plague Burst Crawler in because, just, boy, what a plain tank for a cool model range. Um, but the <laughs> direction that I am finally, finally, finally taking off in since they were released in, I think I want to say 2015, uh, my last bad spot goes to the Adeptus Mechanicus. Which I consider to be an A plus slam dunk model range. Uh, I'm not crazy about the new transports. Like I like that they have them. I'm not crazy about the way that they look. I don't know. Just something about the 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 shape of them doesn't do it for me. But the basic troops and things yeah. that were released, both versions of the Skatarii, um Rust Stalkers, Infiltrators uh, are very cool. I love the 1950 Space Robots, which I know is a, a hot topic <laughs> all across, uh, you know, 40k nerds. Um, <laughs> I think the Tech Priest Dominus is one of the coolest, most grimdark HQs that exists in the game. Yep, 100%. Just with the little scuttling robo legs and their robes, and like that is like the the closest thing I think in any army that we've gotten to a uh, yeah. John Blanche sketch like come Nails to life. It. Like it seems like they really went right from his, like his sketch with very little translation to the model, and it's it just wow how good. And I even like uh, the new stuff, or uh, which as of us recording this, you know, had, was previewed a month or two ago. Um, certainly before day 9,000 of quarantine <laughs> that we're in. Uh, you know, the little uh, Da Vinci flying machine fellas and the... Um, the Mecha Cavalry. Yeah, the Robocav and, uh, you know, again, the kind of Da Vinci-inspired ornithopter-looking thing. Yep. Um, I like all of that stuff. I think, uh, to, uh, I think some of it... I think the Cavalry, weirdly, have a little bit of a harder time fitting in. For me, like, I feel like they want to go and start their own offshoot army just called Badass Space Cowboys with, like, the <laughs> Keller Morph. And, like, he's the HQ and, like, I don't like Tommy Lee Jones and Donald Sutherland are in from the movie. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, everything else, I think, fits. And it is um, outside of Orcs. 
uh, I think probably my favorite like head to toe model range in the game, which is why the Electro Priests kick me right in the chest so goddamn hard. <laughs> uh, just boy, do they look out of place. Um, because the whole thing about Admech is, you know, we were talking at the very start of this record with, uh, about the consistency of the grimdark aesthetic being a little bit of a problem as, you know, the 40k universe has evolved and gone on. And, um, I think in some ways they've added some stuff to make it, uh, you know, more grimdark and more kind of uh grimly heavy metal that have been uh, uh real slam dunks they've gotten rid of some stuff that was uh maybe not my cup of tea on the humor field like the uh what is it like obi-wan sherlock clouseau or whatever was like an inquisitor for a while <laughs> um, i don't remember that one yeah that was actually back in your halcyon days of like the late 80s early 90s <laughs> uh they they had maybe some I'll... pretty <laughs> some pretty rough shit back then too but not nearly as much i would say consistent tone breaking um yeah. and you know i play orcs I mean, there, there was definitely an there was definitely an element of slapstick back there right so it's like the gene stealer cult's vehicle was a tricked out limousine yeah right? and the patriarch and, was and like a was... big fat dad on a throne yeah right but you sort of got the sense that all of the stuff was sort of pressed into service. And one of the reasons I love the old Grimdark, not to uh, take too much away from your Electro Priest discussion, but <laughs> you get the sense that they're really selling the idea that all of the tech they just find lying around, they can't make anything anymore because mm -hmm. they don't understand how it works and they just have to press whatever into service. Like the old original land speeder basically looks like a maglev lift it's like a, a piece of industrial equipment that fell off the back of a japanese train and these guys just strapped the biggest gun they could to it without overloading the weight and had two guys just sort of hang their legs off of the front end of it and said go kill uh go kill the enemies of mankind it's like if john rambo pulled up his m60 you know light machine gun and just hopped on the nearest Segway and went around, you know, cruising around the streets of downtown, <laughs> cleaning up the crime, you know? Listen, I don't, and so I, don't that, I don't know if you've seen the, the latest trailer for uh, uh, the, the, the latest Rambo movie, but boy, if he I makes another one, he's going to have to be writing some kind of like a rascal or a, <laughs> a, that you might be spoiling the plot of Rambo six. The beginning of the end, our descent into the grim darkness of the far future. I mean, listen, if anyone looks like they are at this point held together, but with technology, it is sliced alone. Yep. Um, but so this is exactly what you're saying is actually what I love about the Admech range. Right? Yeah, like the, the, the Iron Striders and the Dragoons have the little like gimp uh, who's plugged into the front to pilot it. Um, <laughs> right. The awesome radiation three-shot carbines that are given to Skatarii Vanguard uh, are killing them and poisoning them at the same time. And it's so potent that it instantly begins leeching radiation to poison their enemies. Um, you know, uh, it's not a very good remake, but there is one sequence out of, I think it's like the 2014 Robocop remake. 
that I enjoyed a lot. Did you see it? Yeah, I actually didn't mind it as much as I thought I would. Um, RoboCop was, uh, by the way, this is sorry to out my grandma and my mom, uh, a movie I've been watching since I was like two. So I think I had too much of like a Holy <laughs> Grail investment. Uh, I remember one of my earliest memories is covering my eyes with both hands at my grandma's house while she was rolling up a cigarette. And uh, being like, oh, I'll watch the whole movie, but I can't watch this close-up of Peter Weller's arm being blown off, Grandmama. Uh, <laughs> and then she took my hands down as she put the cigarette in her mouth, and she said, Lou, if you're going to watch the movie, watch the whole movie. <laughs> Which, uh, having kids of my own now, is a pretty fucking tough turf to drag a three-year-old through. Uh, yeah, but man. anyway, <laughs> so that's my own grim dark uh, uh, story. But uh, so I watched the new one, and I wasn't a fan of kind of the PG thirteen level of a lot of the stuff. Um, I didn't think it was an oh, awful yes. movie. I thought like a lot of remakes, it would have benefited from not being called RoboCop. Yeah, that's true. But the one scene that I found really effective and like evocative of uh, the AdMac, uh, as I kind of read these guys' lore and looked at the model range and all of the replacement limbs and stuff was when he tells them to take away all of the robotic stuff from his body in that. And we kind of see him hanging in this like techno servo harness. And like, he's just like a face and a brain and like the one intact arm. And like, you can see his organs like pushing this kind of inorganic or, you know, uh, synthetically organic fluid around. Yep. Um, and it's like a real nightmare scene that I feel like, that scene alone being in the movie, like, forget about Peter Weller getting his arm shot off. Like, I was like, holy shit, this is PG-13. We can't show a bad guy bleeding from, like, a, a gut wound, but <laughs> you can show me all of this poor man's organs and look at the heartbreak. Um, but also the way in that movie they keep doing these psychosurgeries to him, too. At first, his brain is really intact. And then they keep doing surgeries to make him less emotional and less human. Right. And that kind of like really horrifying grim dark element is all over the Skatari, right? Where they are basically an army of people who are little more than servitors plugged into this kind of failed archaic technology. Uh, which brings me to the fucking Ninja Turtle bad guys or possible <laughs> allies of the super jacked Totally shredded like lettuce, awesome karate bros who have thematic, again, I'm going to say Ninja Turtle style way, where it's like, oh, what's your thing? Oh, I serve the tech priest, the omnissiah, the fucking machine god. That's my thing. Oh, okay, cool. What's your weapon? Is it like really high tech? It's a stick. Oh. With a gear how, on it. Yeah. How do, exact, how do we know that you're a tech priest guy then? For all I know, you serve the god of sticks. Oh, I put a cog on each end. Don't worry, I cut a cog in half. And so it's very symbolic. Oh, that's cool. What's your workout regimen, by the way? Oh, I work out like an actor for a Marvel movie. It's like three workouts. It's nine hours a day. We all got a personal chef. Don't worry about it, buddy. We're very shredded. Because I did try to read their lore. Because I was like, why aren't they wasted away like every other servant of the machine god? And it was like, oh, well, their their blood is replaced with, like, the motive force and, like, they channel, like, they literally are electricity. And again, I'm not, like, right there, nobody's trying to apply real science. But why aesthetically aren't they wasted away or 
in pain or do you know what I'm saying? Like, why aren't they grim dark? Like, if right. you were like, oh, Logan, you have to go out on a date night with your wife, but you have to take on the appearance of a servant in the 40K universe, these <laughs> dudes would be very high on my list. I would be like, oh, I get, like, washboard abs. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, like, I'm already bald. I'm not losing anything in my electro- <laughs> my electrolyzed hair department. Like, like they look great these guys are taking care of themselves it looks like they've got ready access to fruits and vegetables and just an ungodly amount of lean protein um yeah i think it's telling that the worst thing that has happened to these guys in the lore is that they're so overflowing with the motive force that their eyeballs boil out of their skulls which is kind (laughs) of metal but then instead of having some sort of uh i admit the the head is like six millimeters tall max right see there's not a whole lot you can do but instead of having their boiled out eye sockets they have it covered with a cloth right and there's one guy who is kind of uncovered as i'm looking at the thing and he actually by far is the coolest looking guy i will say that but you could also give them implants and it's like the delac gangers or something you give them that kind of creepy sinister look yeah, they, if if they've had their whole plumbing swapped out so that they run off, off electricity instead of blood, they don't. I, I think it would be a good design choice to have them emaciated, like you say. But it's not required. But you've got to communicate in some fashion that they've had some sort of major revision done on their internals. And the way that they explain it away is these guys have what's called an elect2, which is about the dumbest thing. It's a portmanteau of electricity and tattoo and so they have leads oh, macroscopic leads so so that's if, if you look at the guy's skin they have these sort of lines on them and it's because they have actual metal traceries implanted into their skin so this whole lore thing this already sounds like the shittiest villains that's your friend's <laughs> homebrew shadow run campaign do you know what i mean where you're like wait what are we fighting they're priests and they got what? Their weapons are cogs? I don't know. I shoot them. Ah, but they have the uh, Electu tattoos. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Um, Rules-wise, I don't know. I don't have a problem with them. You know, they're a good close combat unit for the... In fact, that almost makes me hate <laughs> the way they look even more. Because they do <laughs> fill a very needed niche for the Adeptus uh, Mechanicus. Right? They are our kind of scary, horde-clearing, uh, close combat unit that can that can do good center board control. They come in a unit of up to 20. You know, uh, you take the good version with the staves, the fulgurites, yeah. and uh, you can get up to a 3-plus invulnerable the second you kill a Lemian or something with one hit. <laughs> and uh, uh, See, another unit. Another reason they shouldn't be units on their own. <laughs> yeah it's it's uh you, they should be a court of the archon the court of the archon should be one unit but these guys um i'm looking at their stupid robe their split robe fighting pants right god i just hate every i hate everything about this unit um i am gonna promote thunderwolf cavalry to a unit i hate the look of less than these guys <laughs> the only thing you could do worse with these guys is slap them spread eagle on top of a giant wolf it's the only thing you could do to make me ha- maybe put him in power armor while you're at it i don't know but just everything else in the ad range is a slam dunk home run model 
And they truly, you tell me you drew these guys in the style of the, the early 90s Ninja Turtle team, or you know what, any of the remakes. Ninja Turtles should not easily, peacefully coexist uh, in an army with Sidonian Dragoons. <laughs> and yet they're trying. They're trying really hard. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to say this about the people who made these models. Are they? Are they trying hard? Did they try to fit in with the rest of the guys? Because it seems like they could fit in with anything if you took the cogs away. And you were just like, I don't know. What are we going to do? Before he left, Darren didn't give us any notes about the super buff martial arts guys. <laughs> what do you think? We just put some cogs on them. They can work for the Admech, maybe. They need a close <laughs> combat unit. God knows we can't just make rust stalkers good. What are we, animals? <laughs> so let's go for your third pick here. All right. Um, so so we're going to jump in with both feet. Both feet that weigh two tons each and are as tall as my waist. What's the last choice? The last choice is the <laughs> Relic Contemptor Dreadnought. So in the lore, Contemptor Dreadnoughts are relics of a lost age, technology <laughs> beyond the ability of man to make, if not remember, a constant reminder of the decay of human civilization. They're only entrusted to the wisest and most fearsome half-dead warriors who are rendered functionally immortal and nigh unstoppable on the battlefield by interment in this walking sarcophagus. It's a dreadnought. It's turned up to 11. It's awesome. So clearly I don't dislike the lore. The rules. Well, it's a faster, tougher dreadnought. It can be more accurate. Uh, the codex weapons are decidedly vanilla, but the forge-rolled options can get pretty spicy indeed. The biggest miss here in the rules department is the disconnect between how lame the Codex rules are and how potentially bonkers the Forge World rules can be. I mean, the Codex Contemptor, the plastic version in the normal uh, Space Marines Codex, I don't think he's even venerable. He starts hitting on a three, right? Yeah. No, yeah, I think he's uh, he's just a regular boy with a, what is he? I think he has an invul maybe over the regular Dreadnoughts. Yeah, all, all Contemptors do. So it's, it's plus two wounds, which means uh, he... He graduates to the point where he degrades as he takes damage. Um, but And he's got, on his highest bracket, he's got some more movement. But other than that, the invul and the weapon choices are the only difference, really. You know, let me ask, because uh, uh, you play a lot of armies, and I, I play, you know, a couple. Is there any unit in the game that sits at exactly 10 wounds that we wouldn't all just take a one wound bump down to not have the the damage brackets <laughs> not no not a one wound drop I, I can't think of one nope because uh for me it's uh bloat drones i'm like yeah you can make them nine wounds it's fine you don't have to once i'm down to two wounds i don't have to have strength four guns thank you very much yep yep I mean, the, some some models fall off faster than others, right? But yeah, there are definitely situations where, like, uh, demon engines in regular Chaos Space Marine book, their attacks and strength both degrade at the same time, and they were already only hitting on a four, guys. And so when you when you roll up on your last bracket, you're like, oh yeah, I'm strength four, and also I only have two attacks, and one of them is going to miss you, statistically speaking. Yeah, I'm not really scared of that unit anymore. <laughs> There's a there's a whole other discussion I think to be had about the uh, <laughs> unevenness of what degrades on certain models. 
Um, because there are some that I have played against that, like, uh, you know, I haven't really looked into before because, like, I'm not interested in them for any army I'm going to be playing or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I'll chunk, you know, 15 wounds off of something. I'll chunk 12 wounds off and I'll be like, oh, he's pretty crippled now, right? And it always turns out like, oh, it's like minus four movement and uh, his, uh, I don't know, his invuln save is one worse or something. (laughs) And I'm just like, that's the thing. You're like, oh, what happens if you're orc machine? I'm like, oh, he can't move anymore effectively and his weapon skill is bad. Oh, but his guns are good? Well, his guns were never good. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, so why the Contemptor though? Because I do know that you like the, uh, the, I think you like the model, right? Yeah. So I, I started out with Relic Contemptors, the Forge World version. This is before the, uh, the Plastic Games Workshop one. And I didn't like them at first because they're sort of eggy and they're sort of top heavy. But the more I used them and as I built them, I sort of grew to love them, which is why I never want to buy Wolfen, because if I own a thing and I mess around with it, I start to like it, even if I originally hated it. And so I must maintain my pure hatred of the Wolfen. Um, Oh, we got to get you some orcs. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I do like the aesthetics. The aesthetics between the Codex version and the Forge version are basically the same. So basically you buy any model, the best, the best weapons that can be made to slot into it uh, with a little bit of conversion work. Um, so as, as you noted, Logan, but John, you might remark to your smart device, I thought you said these made you mad. It sounds like you're really praising these Contemptor Dreadnoughts. Well, first you should stop talking to yourself in the grocery aisle because it's weird. Uh, but ultimately the aesthetics are sort of where I come back to hate this model. It's a bit of a joke choice, I admit. But the reason that I say I hate it is because Forge World Relic Contemptors are almost endlessly poseable. Some people think that they read the lore and they say that this is described as a more agile pattern of Dreadnought. And they read that as, this Dreadnought could do ninja flips down the battlefield. So you combine uh, this interpretation shall we say with a very posable model and you will see how little restraint some people will employ if you've never seen any of this stuff just do a google search for contemptor (laughs) dreadnought pose and there's one blood angels model that like once you see it you will never unsee it the laws of physics have ceased to apply to this 30 foot tall (laughs) 500 ton killing machine i played against the space wolves army in seventh edition um that had i think two contemptors in it and they looked like they were kicking each other soccer goals. <laughs> yes. Like it was just that like one leg flexed way back the other, or they were slipping on like a banana peel. Yep. But there was, I think they were supposed to be running, but there's either the person who had modeled them had never actually taken a running stride <laughs> in their life. Or I don't know, watched a movie with running. Um, but uh, just my God, where, where the, the spread of the legs uh, in a, the forward axis as wide as you could get. Well, them. look, I can cut some people some slack because I've assembled some of these really poseable models before. And when you incorporate that many potential joints in there, you might start out with a plan as you're building this thing and say, okay, he's going to look like this. And generally, like you can blue tack a few things together. But once you've got something with 10 joints all in a row and you blue tack all of them, it's not going to look like it. The the test version is not going to look like the final version. And so you, you run a stand... Uh, better than average chance, I should say, of winding up at the end with something that you didn't quite envision in the first place. But some of these just pass the line so far that all I have to say to these people is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. (laughs) Sure, they fell the atomic bomb test. 
So you've got on one end of the spectrum, the Forge World endlessly poseable contemptor, and then on the other end of the spectrum, the Games Workshop plastic contemptor that is remarkably boring. I mean, it's just like legs straight down, arms basically at its side. It's stepping forward a little bit, but you wouldn't look at this thing and be paralyzed with fear. And so the verdict is the models here are at two ends of the posing spectrum, and I hate them both. The Relic Contemptor <laughs> can be a beautiful model worthy of its rock-hard abs. I mean, Lord rules. But that just makes me rage all the harder when I see one that is not a beautiful model. Well, and I will say that the uh, the Relic Contemptor came in the Burning of Prospero box. I think the plastic one. It was the Betrayal at Cal. Oh, Betrayal at Cal. There we go. Uh, it was so bad as a model that it kept <laughs> me from buying into that set with a friend. Like, because he was like, oh, I, I know you like machines and stuff. And like, I don't care. I just want power armor. Like, you could have the Dreadnought. And like, I started looking online. I was like, is there a way to make this guy look? And every time I found a cooler looking contemptor, I was like, oh, this is like seven pounds of resin from Forge World for 150 bucks. This is not this yep. guy. Um, yeah, no, I agree. That is the most, uh, the Plastic Boy is maybe one of the most paperweight looking models in the 40K range. Like the modern 40K range. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty He's bad. As posable as like the old rogue trader dreadnoughts. And I gotta ask if the person who designed it saw the same Blood Angels dreadnought that I saw and said, "Gravity doesn't work like that." <laughs> I gotta show all these people what a real robot's gonna look like. It's clunky and it steps slow and blah blah blah. And it's if that's the case, he really he or she really overdid it. <laughs> Well, if they're going to be clunky and slow, listen, at least make them as bad as my beloved Death Dreads, where I move six <laughs> inches. But don't worry, my Morkonauts and Gorkonauts that cost right under 300 each, they move, uh, 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 you know, a good eight. It truly is the pastime, <laughs> and maybe it is just our local community of 40k, but I suspect it is not. It really is the pastime, even talking about orcs, my most favoritest, most wonderful thing in the whole game. Uh, I cannot help but complain about it. So I want to pose to us the challenge. I don't know what, exactly what the subject is going to be next time. But we're going to say nice, good things about some damn nerdy game system. It might not be 40k, but we're going to give something a nice, a good boy compliment. I hope our listeners at least found some positive laughs out of our talking about units that we love to hate. And I hope that I didn't make you feel bad if you run Electro Priest. I think it's fine that you like ugly models. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's I get it. You're in a tournament. You want a three up invuln and a five up feel no pain. Um, you know, I hope you didn't have someone commission paint them for you. Uh, they are brutally hideous. Um, but like it's next time. I'm not going to talk about Electro Priests. Logan will I forgive will you for using them. Ever I, on the other hand, hand will not. To say about them. Yeah, why not? I'll forgive everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening to our inaugural episode. I hope it was, I don't know, fine. Uh, <laughs> make sure you join us next week when we are going to try to delve into the minds of the designers of 8th Edition and figure out what they wanted this edition to look like based on the earliest rules and indices. All right, stay safe, stay isolated. Thank you, everybody. I love you guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.